take a deep breath Take the higher road That's what they always say As if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself Cause life ain't just a dream You make your own So kick and scream The people will like With a never ending force You never had the chance So what you waiting for The day has come my friend Cause this is war Welcome to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is Nurse Michelle. Nurses Out Loud is six nurses brought together bound by ethical principles on a mission to expose the purveyors of propaganda and recognizing that we are in a war for truth. We would love for you to join us every day, Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. On Mondays, you can hear Nurse April. Um, and on Tuesdays, Nurse Emily and Cami will be hosting the show. On Wednesdays, Nurse Kimberly will be here. And on Thursdays, I will be here. Um, and on Fridays, Nurse Jody will be wrapping up the week for us. So join us, please, um, each weekday. And we you will have six strong nurses who are not afraid to engage in this battle. We want to empower and encourage others to do the same. We recognize that we are in a war and the war is for truth. Like Florence Nightingale, we are shining a light in the darkness. Our goal is to expose what is happening in our country and around the world. And we are putting out a bounty on the real misinformation and exposing the purveyors of propaganda. Please join us every week. Now, let's get on with this show. Last week on Nurses Out Loud, you were provided by me 20 questions about vaccines for medical professionals. This week, I am providing the 20 answers to those 20 vaccine questions. Um, If you did tune in last week, I hope it was an eye-opening experience for you. And whether you're a medical professional or not, if you're not a medical professional, but you have experienced any kind of persecution regarding your choices to not vaccinate your children according to the CDC vaccine schedule, or if you made the choice to not get the COVID vaccine, then this is a tool to put in your armor. So save the link to this podcast and last week's show um, to your phone. If you are not aware, you know, we're here every day at 10 a.m., But after our show airs, it will have an encore at 10 p.m. every day. And then within 24 to 48 hours, it will go to the AmericaOutloud.com backslash Nurses Out Loud um, show page. And you will be able to share that far and wide. And will also go to podcasts, any podcasts um, that you listen to anywhere you'll be able to easily share it any time of the day. It will always be available. So be sure to save last week's content link and this week's link so that the next time somebody calls you an anti-vaxxer, especially if they are in a position of authority like a medical person, 
a doctor or just somebody who is exalting themselves over you and calling you names or minimizing you, um, drop them the link. Chances are they won't know all the answers. And after all, it's time the name callers got a piece of humble pie. It is exasperating to witness day in and day out the social media propaganda against anyone who dares to talk about the vaccine in a negative way. My own social media accounts that I have out there, um, they're just simply dedicated to um, getting information out and helping people know how to take care of yourself at home through COVID. That's why I started it, because I recognized there was a need to get information to the masses that if a nurse like myself could end up in a COVID unit in a bad situation and realize that there are guidelines and policies dictating what can and can't happen in a hospital and my outcome might not be so good, it might be a good idea to get some valuable information out to the people so that they can learn what the brave doctors want you to know could help you at home and then teach you some basic nursing skills to be able to take care of your family. Seems wonderful, right? Like an innocent, good thing to do for the American people. But for some reason, um, it's a problem to do what I was doing. And, you know, when there was talk about, whenever I would talk about the COVID vaccine that was going to be coming out, um, I always was trying to make sure people knew about the potential benefits while discussing the potential risks at the same time, because obviously everything medical potentially has risks as well as benefits, right? But when I did try to share just information that was published out there, letting you know my own experiences that had happened with me um, waking up to what the, the children's vaccine schedule already had that was a real red flag that I thought the public needed to know, um, when I tried to get that information out to the public, I would be slapped with a tag on my post if it wasn't deleted if it was actually allowed to stay there, um, it would be a tag notifying the public by the fact checkers that the COVID vaccines go through tons of safety testing and there's nothing for you to worry about. Think about the absurdity of that. I'm a registered nurse, okay? So why do they have to tell me this all the time? I mean, anytime you don't speak in code or write your words like COVID and vaccine with a font or some kind of code language that doesn't actually get picked up by the algorithm, your post will not only get a fact check put on it, reminding people to go to the WHO website or some other public health website where they can find out the real information about vaccines. And when you go to that link, by the way, you're not going to get a lot of information about vaccines for the record. And, and who are these people anyways? I mean, I'm a registered nurse. I can read medical data. You can actually read medical data. You don't even have to be a nurse to read medical data, though I do believe it does help. I'm only talking about medical data. So what in the world is going on here? Interestingly enough, there's another reason that I can get myself into trouble on social media, and that's discussing nasal sprays. Apparently educating the American public about the benefits of nasal oral sanitation to reduce the replication of viruses in the nose and mouth is threatening to the social media lords. And that can get me and other people in a regular dose of trouble. 
It is a frustrating struggle to realize that when you think you've you know spent the time to create content and get the education out there to people, um, you know, to be a nurse myself and to have never really um, focused on nasopharyngeal sanitation and the benefits of it. It's really only the population out there that has had reasons to go to an ENT on a regular basis, maybe for allergies or something's wrong with the way your sinuses drain or just a history of sinus problems that maybe even are the best educated among us about what's called nasopharyngeal sanitation. So taking that knowledge that we're just barely exposed to in nursing school. And if you don't work within an ENT industry or you don't have a problem yourself with that, you would not be prone to knowing a lot about that. So I have spent a lot of time trying to educate my followers on knowing not only the science about it and the benefits of it, but the products that have been shown to help. But it's, it's just amazing how that is censorable material and it is censored people. And it's very discouraging to know that it is censorable. Um, and what's so frustrating is that we already know that it really works. I have thousands and thousands of followers who faithfully use these protocols and they report the same thing. It works, people. And this past week, I wanted to post this thing that was going around the internet. It was an award certificate for those who survived the propaganda of this last two years and actually ended up sticking with their conscience or whatever led them not to get the COVID vaccine. And it was just something I put to the survivor music and it went pretty viral, but it really um, stirred up some nurses out there and they came out of the woodwork to make sure I understood just how stupid I must be to, to say that people who successfully avoided the vaccine may have even gotten COVID came out of it on the other side with natural immunity and are doing well because they were of the fortunate few who the censorship did not impact. And they were able to actually get knowledge that the brave doctors out there um, provided. And they used that early treatment knowledge and they successfully came through the virus without any problems for some reason, there is a mass of medical professionals out there that literally want to viciously destroy me, report me to nursing boards, and think I should have my license removed. It is unbelievable. And when you try to provide those people with information that you think would interact in an intelligent medical dialogue between medical professionals... Actually, what happens is I get called names and I get cussed out by people who do not even know me. I'm absolutely shocked every time with their refusal to discuss science. Like, here's a link. So when I drop them links, you know, if I give them anything that I think is going to happen, that's going to help them understand to say, hey, listen, you know, I hear what you're saying, but listen, look at this link. This is from the National Institute of Health that supports what I'm saying they will not answer. It's like a brick wall. So um, now that I've got these 20 questions recorded, I will end the conversation with just dropping then the link to the 20 questions and say, you know, see how you do on this. And interestingly enough, I have not heard back from any of them. For those of us that would consider ourselves among the truther movement, you know, our goal is to help inform people, educate people, be a patient advocate, and just inform the masses. And when it comes to the medical professionals that engage with me, I've, I have hundreds, if not thousands of medical professionals that follow me. 
And, um, you know, we're on the same side. They're, they're reading the same science. They're accessing the same brave doctors that are publishing data out there. They're informed. But for these that are, you know, so antagonistic against those of us that are in, let's call the truth or movement, my only hope is that they are at least pondering the possibility that there is something perhaps that they don't know. And I would love everybody to ponder something, you know, about why is there this vehemence um, protected protection, you know, for the vaccines and why do vaccines have such vehement warriors standing in the front line, ready to defend them, you know, while ignoring the opposing science that is provided to them, the absurdity of it is just, um, unfathomable. The question is, why are medical professionals so hung up on the impossibility that an American citizen might just have a potential reaction to a vaccine? I mean, you can die from Tylenol. Our own National Library of Medicine, the National Center for Biotechnology, updated some information um, just in August of 22 regarding acetaminophen toxicity. And acetaminophen is the generic name for Tylenol. Um, Tylenol toxicity is the second most common cause of liver transplants worldwide. And the most common cause of liver transplants in the United States. It is responsible for 56,000 emergency room visits, 2,600 hospitalizations, and 500 deaths per year in the United States alone. So if 500 Americans are pretty much guaranteed to die from Tylenol, Tylenol toxicity every year, think about it. What, you know, when you think about Tylenol, what is that one medication that when you go to your pediatrician checkup and you know, you're going to have a vaccine day that the child's going to get a vaccine on that checkup, they even advise you to get you know, give your child some Tylenol before you come in that day so that their body already has it in it so that the injection site pain they may experience or the irritability and crabbiness that can follow a vaccine because it's it could potentially irritate their neurological system. They're hoping that you um, pre-medicating that child with Tylenol is going to preempt any kind of fever, pain, or, or crabbiness from the irritability that could come from this. So we've got a medication that is recommended to all these little children in the thousands every day around this country. And that drug causes 500 deaths per year and causes Tylenol toxicity and, you know, leads people to liver transplants. And we can know that that is a truth in our population, but yet the vaccine that we're needing to take the Tylenol for um, couldn't possibly have any reason for any medical professional to have something negative to say about it. The absurdity. Young parents that are eager to be good mothers happily comply with the pediatric wellness checkup schedule uh, following the birth of their babies. And why wouldn't we? We want what's best for our child. And it is, after all, called a wellness check. And parents attempting to provide the best opportunities for their child's future want wellness for their children, do we not? If you were to take a poll of those same parents that submitted to the CDC vaccine schedule to find out, 
you know, um, I'm sure that you did a lot of research on your car seat and what food you were going to provide for your baby and any kind of medical equipment you may have purchased or equipment for baby, like um, a, a stroller or a car seat or a high chair, et cetera. Did you do that much diligence in the pursuit of the biological agents that are injected into your child? And, you know, I'm sad to say that the majority of people I know are not only not doing that research, but the pediatricians are not even recommending that the families do any research on the ingredients. Um, you know, the frontline vaccinators are the pediatricians and the pediatric nurses. When was the last time any parent remembers a pediatrician discussing the ingredients of any of the vaccines with them prior to recommending one or administering one? You know, I've been a parent for 32 years and have never had a pediatrician initiate such a conversation with me. Instead, the very, you know, in the very limited amount of time that you are actually coming in for that checkup, you know, if you have any questions, you better get them out because they're just going to give you that vaccine data sheet. And, you know, that's your information and questioning it is really like an irritation to that population. And it is extremely frustrating that this is an ongoing 32 year experience for this mother that's been a mother for 32 years. Before we go into the answers for the questions, I wanted to address how an anti-vaxxer is made. And it's two primarily ways that primary ways that a anti-vaxxer is made. You have a, a compliant parent that goes along with the CDC recommended guidelines and they think they're doing what they're supposed to do. They're following the recommendations of their pediatrician and they get their child a vaccine and their child becomes injured, permanently handicapped or deceased following that vaccine. Now that'll make you an anti-vaxxer real fast. So for those out there who just hate on anti-vaxxers, let me first remind you, they are made by first being a compliant anti, a, a compliant vaccination parent who then has a suffering child, an injured child or a dead child. And now they have had their eyes open the hard way that something may be up with these vaccines. Let me rethink this. The second way is that, you know, you know, a friend or acquaintance and you learn about or read about um, these kind of injuries happening. And if you are a parent that is extremely proactive and reads a lot about the ingredients and the information about the vaccines, because that's your nature, maybe you're just prone to researching. If you actually do the reading, um, you can make yourself an anti-vaxxer really fast because it is out there for all of us to read. It is out there for the medical professionals to read, and they simply are not doing it. Rarely will you meet a person who is against childhood vaccines or vaccines in general. Um, I believe that the reason why um, the public is so um, tone deaf when it comes to the possibility of a vaccine related injury is really the blame needs to be put upon our public health authorities, our physicians, um, the medical teaching institutions for encouraging the masses, honestly, to blindly accept the safety and efficacy of vaccines, while at the same time deterring, encouraging an, edu an educated citizenry. Don't we want an educated citizenry? 
why else would there be such a need for a pejorative like anti-vaxxer if we were for educating them? The the interest in these conversations when it comes to name calling, they're not trying going to educate you. They don't drop you any facts or supporting evidence. Um, They just literally regurgitate what is written on a CDC website, which everyone assumes is the final authority. But those who dig into the same website, the CDC website, find information within the vaccine packet inserts that are provided with those vaccine. Those who look at the trials and read the trials discover information that is also there. So it is frustrating that we are dealing with Um, an absence of interest in a well-informed populace. So as I revealed last time, um, I do have a vaccine injured daughter and that wake up call for me really opened my eyes as a nurse and as a mother that there is ignorance in the medical community. And the reason why I became so aware of that is when you are the one with the child who suddenly has significant alterations in their behavior, in their academic ability, in the way that they interact with you or the way that they're behaving at home. I mean, some families have had children who unrelentingly cried for days. Okay. Can we all accept that's not a normal behavior? Um, Sudden behaviors, sudden rashes, sudden medical declines. Those are things that these things called mothers know is wrong with your child. If you're living day in and day out with your child, specifically if you're home with your child every day, um, you are so aware of their habits, their behaviors, and a couple of days of irritability is what, you know, most people might communicate. But I had six kids and I had two of those kids who always had a negative experience after each one of their vaccines. And one of them was be sick really sick for a couple of days. And as he evolved over the t- over time as a, now a 21 year old, he's the kid that still um, gets really, when he is exposed to illnesses, it gets him really sick. So what does that say? He's very likely got some kind of immune compromised situation going on with his body. Same is true for my vaccine injured daughter. So when you're waking up and realizing Um, they're not listening to me. They're ignoring me. They're gaslighting me. I mean, most of us don't even really know what it means to be gaslit if you're not in an abusive relationship. Um, I have some experience with a daughter who had domestic abuse. So I became aware of that term, which means that people basically, you know, make you feel like you're, you're crazy as a mom or you're overreacting or you're misinterpreting what's going on. I mean, after all, I'm the doctor talking to you. So I know all things and I'm better than you and smarter than you. So if I am, then I'm going to make you feel like, you know, and maybe in a nice way, reassure you that, you know, what you're interpreting is not accurate as a mom. But here's the most important thing I think to take away is that I know in my conscience, every mom knows in her conscience when something is not right with their kid. And when they're reporting that to the pediatrician, the most important thing for any pediatricians listening to understand is that you need to hear them. You need to believe them and you do need to well document what's going on and start pursuing some kind of assessment um, of what is going on. So all of this suffering on my own part after years of um, nightmare, we 
that's how these 20 questions evolved because I started asking questions as I was becoming more educated. I would ask these questions of my medical professionals. And because my daughter became so severely injured and had to see so many specialists, and I personally have a lot of medical issues and I see a lot of specialists, I just started asking questions. And when I was asking those questions of medical professionals, nurses, doctors, if I was getting an ultrasound, I just started quizzing people that were medical professionals. And guess what I learned? Never did I have a doctor ever know the answer to any of the questions. And I only ever had a, in six years, one nurse know the answers to the question. And she only knew half of the answers. And the reason why I found out she was well informed is because she also had a vaccine injured child. So of course, she and I became known as the anti-vax community, part of the anti-vax community, because what we really are is ex-vaxxers. Most anti-vaxxers are actually ex-vaxxers. That means that you've already participated in the vaccine program. Something bad has happened to one of your children, and now you are withdrawing. Maybe you're doing less of the vaccines, and or you're completely halting altogether. Um, so, and when you become a true anti-vaxxer, you're actually wanting to educate people as well. You're wanting people to know what's happening because you feel so alone and you know that the doctors aren't there helping you. So, um, in a moment, we're going to start the, um, review of the answers of all the 20 questions for medical professionals about vaccines. Um, so let me first wrap up a few things right before the break, before we start those 20 questions. So of course, there's no way I can address exhaustively um, in detail everything there is to know and read and learn about vaccines in this one hour show, but I'm going to do my best to give you lots of links in my show notes so you can start the journey of educating yourself for things that very likely you have very likely already injected into your children and just were not aware because you were part of the populace that just succumb to what they the agenda was, which was to just have you blindly follow and obey and get the vaccines. Immunology is a complicated science. I mean, I don't even feel like most doctors even fully understand it. I've had immunologists that have said really ridiculous things to me. So even being an immunologist doesn't mean that they know all things, okay? So in other words, there is darkness in the minds of the majority of the populace on the subject of immunology and how vaccines work and the potential risks and benefits associated to vaccines. So what is Nurses Out Loud in the business of doing? We are going to expose the darkness and shine a light on it, cast out the darkness with knowledge. And when we come back, we're going to address those 20 questions and shine the light on some facts regarding vaccine injuries, and educating the medical profession about vaccine injuries. It's time and this is Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day. Yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. 
Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com where we're healing America one person at a time. Welcome back to Nurses Out Loud with Nurse Michelle. Let's get right to the 20 answers to the 20 vaccine questions for medical professionals. Question number one, do you believe there has ever been any injuries to children or adults from any vaccine? Answer number one. So vaccines belong to the class of pharmaceutical products called biologics, products that allergy experts widely recognize for their potential to cause allergic hypersensitivity reactions, among other adverse effects. The package inserts of at least 22 vaccines list allergic hypersensitivity reactions as an adverse event and that the inserts of at least 31 vaccines list post-vaccine anaphylactic reactions. Now, I want all my followers to make sure you follow the childrenshealthdefense.org. Founder Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is called the anti-vaxxer of anti-vaxxers. But I assure you, published data can be found easily for everyone at their site. And lesson to know, if an organization is being called anti-vaxxer, they are probably putting out data you should read so you can make an informed decision. So in April of 2020, um, Children's Health Defense summarize the post-marketing data for over three dozen vaccines given routinely to American infants, children, and adolescents. That tally showed that vaccines touted for the prevention of 13 illnesses have been linked to at least 217 adverse medical outcomes reported post-licensure, including serious infections, autoimmune conditions, life-threatening allergies, and yes, even death. I will include in my show notes a table that I want you all to be able to see. And in that revised chart in table two includes the adverse reactions reported in the clinical trial sections of 41 vaccine brands. 
um, a combination of clinical trial and post-marketing data presents a dramatic picture with almost double the total number of undesirable post-vaccination outcomes. 397 different types of reactions reported pre and post-licensure. Now, although roughly 400 adverse events is a sobering number, again, it is probably an underestimate. Most clinical trials, you may be surprised to learn, only follow per, uh, the participants for an absurdly short period of time, three to seven days. And they do not capture problems that arise beyond that very brief window, even though clinicians recognize that vaccine reactions are not always immediate or acute. Now, this is a significant point to remember. Our very own CDC has made sure that criteria have been documented that if a child does not have a reaction within a very small window of time, it could not possibly be associated to the vaccine. So when um, doctors are made aware of that, even though they have medical knowledge to be able to assess and um, look up data that doesn't agree with that, the data on the CDC website gives you a very small window. And therefore, a lot of doctors will not report um, adverse reactions simply because of that. Okay, question number two. If a child were to have an adverse reaction of any kind to any childhood vaccine, do you know what a typical presenting symptom would be of an adverse reaction to a vaccine? And do you know how to identify whether it is a vaccine injury that the child may be experiencing? So my show notes are going to direct you to an article entitled Read the Fine Print Part 2, Nearly 400 Adverse Reactions Listed in Vaccine Package Inserts. That article is going to have a table called Table 2, Clinical Trial and Post-Marketing Adverse Events Reported in Vaccine Package Inserts by body system. You are going to see anything from an allergic reaction and all the potential ways that it can manifest, autoimmune reactions, blood and lymphatic system reactions, cardiac, congenital reactions, death even, that and how it can present ear uh, reactions, endocrine reactions, eye reactions, gastrointestinal reactions. Um, the list really continues to go on through the entire human body, um, you know, injection site reactions. So really anywhere that the adverse reaction is capable of happening, which is basically anywhere in the body is the, what's going to determine how you're going to proceed with determining what kind of vaccine reaction this child is having and what organ you're going to need to be assessing because it could be the metabolic system, the musculoskeletal system. My own daughter had a, a bizarre movement disorder begin with her. And it uh, later it would take a year and a half for somebody to actually get an official name for it. Movement disorders are very complicated things. And hers was called chorea athetosis. And for you medical professionals out there, you know that that's associated to a brain injury. So I had a daughter whose nervous system had been impacted. She had neurologists and hyperspecialists within neurologists. And she had psychiatric components. And um, there's some psychiatric components that even affect the reproductive system. Respiratory system can be affected with um, breathing difficulty, like what happened to my daughter and skin, subcutaneous things. So when the question is asked of you, 
how do you identify an adverse reaction? If a mother is coming to you and reporting there is something abnormal in any of the body systems, you know you're dealing with an adverse reaction to a recent vaccine and need to deal with it accordingly. Number three, how long after a recent childhood vaccination would you suspect it is possible for a child to exhibit some form of an adverse reaction following a childhood vaccine? This would be another way of me asking you, okay, you've identified epilepsy on a child, the signs of epilepsy. You've had them go and get um, imaging and EEG of their brain to find out if it is in fact epilepsy. You find out it is. I ask you, how long would you expect the child who you just diagnosed with epilepsy to exhibit symptoms of epilepsy? You would expect to have those symptoms until it is resolved, correct? So if you or anyone else before they came to you actually observed um, symptoms, didn't diagnose epilepsy, you're three weeks later, six weeks later, three months later, and the family is saying they've been trying to seek help and you finally do the right imaging or the right testing or the right blood work. And let's just use the, uh, the epilepsy for an example. Epilepsy has been found six months later on an EEG. You don't dissociate that from the vaccine. The mother says that all these um, complications started right after the vaccine. Just because you're the first physician to actually do the right thing doesn't mean that this falls outside of the scope of being considered to be connected to a vaccine injury. But here's the problem. We have a documentation issue. You have to document, this is what the patient has been reporting. I, as a doctor, recognize those symptoms match the symptoms of epilepsy. She's been reporting the symptoms of epilepsy from X amount of time following this vaccine. And now only after so much time has passed, has the proper testing been done? And now we have a diagnosis of epilepsy. So in other words, the ability to diagnose and find symptoms happens sometimes long after the vaccine. Okay, number four. So let's just say that you do believe that there's a chance that this particular adverse behavior that a child is presenting with, that a parent is reporting to you, could be potentially related to a vaccine injury. Vaccines are immune agents. What do you think would be the best first specialist to potentially see this child? And what other specialist do you think would be advisable to get full assessment of this child that you suspect could be a vaccine injured child? Well, hopefully the first idea that you have is that if this is associated to a vaccine, I need to send this child to a good immunologist and ask for a full immunological workup to assess their immunity to every vaccine they've ever had in the past to see have they been mounting um, a good response to all their vaccines. You can actually do an immune challenge that they actually give an unactivated vaccine to the child to see how does the child actually respond appropriately and, and mount an appropriate response to detect whether or not this child has an immune deficiency of some kind. And then obviously anything associated to the recent vaccine needs to be assessed to see what is this child doing with that vaccine. But overall, this child needs to be in an immunologist care for them to be looking at a global presentation of that child's immune system. And that's just one for sure recommendation. You're also going to be needing to find specialists for every presentation of any systemic problem that's going on. If it's vascular, you're going to have to find a vascular specialist 
a specialist. If it's a hematological um, behavior and you've already drawn a little blood work and you see there's a hematologic um, abnormality, you're going to send them to a hematologist. So needless to say, a child that is vaccine injured could have injuries in any area that would warrant going to multiple specialists. And what they need from their primary care physician is to stay with them, not abandon them. Like my pediatrician did, as soon as we even asked for the question of whether or not there was a potential for a vaccine injury, we got a letter two weeks later after making that request, dismissing six children and two adults from that practice because they didn't want anything to do with a vaccine injured family. So that is the wrong thing to do. That is malpractice. That is malfeasance. And you don't want to be that person. You want to be the dependable person for your vaccine injured patient. Number five, in the event that you believe you are in the presence of a potentially vaccine injured child, do you believe this is a rare occurrence? And if you do believe it is rare occurrence, what scientific basis do you have to contend that it is rare? And what facts would you use with randomized controlled trials or studies that have convinced you with supporting evidence that this is indeed a rare occurrence for a child to have a vaccine related injury following childhood vaccines? So your CDC is going to propagate the idea that one in a million may be injured by shots, but you will find in my show notes, the link to the studies that are federal studies that show the number is closer to one in 39 vaccinated children actually get vaccine injured. That same study found that the typical clinician sees 1.3 vaccine injuries per month. You might be surprised to realize that in a 2016 NICE-CADE survey published in JAMA, reporting an astonishing 19.5% of children under five who are admitted to emergency rooms for drug reactions are suffering from vaccine injuries. You can read more in the show notes, but what you will not find in the literature is any randomized controlled trials published that show that there are is a rare occurrence of vaccine injuries. It has not been done. You will not find it. Number six, do you know as a medical professional, you are obligated to report a vaccine injury and do you know where to report that vaccine injury? You'll discover on the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System's FAQs that healthcare providers are required to report certain adverse events after vaccination. So they have specified to make it a little bit easier so that doctors don't feel like they have to report everything as they should. The CDC is giving you a limited list of things that you do need to report. So healthcare providers are required by law to report any adverse event listed in the VAERS table of reportable events following vaccination. And that will be found in my show notes. Interestingly enough, you will observe that those reactions have to occur within the specified time period after vaccination. And like I said earlier, if you have a child just now getting reported six months later that it's epilepsy finally diagnosed, it's up to the doctor to make sure this gets reported. Why should you report? 
Well, the reason why the system was set up is as an early warning system to detect possible safety problems with U.S. licensed vaccines. So accurate, complete, and timely reporting of post-vaccine health issues provides important information for vaccine safety monitoring and research. Makes sense, doesn't it? If you alert the manufacturer of the vaccine, they are also required to report to VAERS as well. Medical professionals and anybody who thinks they're an expert on vaccines want to quickly jump and say how theirs is not an accurate reporting system. Anybody can report to it. After all, anybody can put, send in their mama's report, their child's report. It's not medically accurate. Well, let me make sure you understand something that's very important. According to the federal government, knowingly filing a false VAERS report is a violation of federal law under um, 18 U.S. Code 1001, punishable by fine and imprisonment. So you do with that what you want to. But last time I checked, I haven't been hearing about a lot of people going off to jail with um, fines and imprisonment for reporting a false report on the VAERS system. You might want to take that into consideration the next time you say that. Number seven, do you know what the acronym VAERS stands for? And if so, did you know what the acronym stood for before 2020? So before 2020, I was asking this question quite a bit, like I said, for at least six years, and never did I meet a doctor that knew what it stood for, okay? So if you did not know what VAERS stood for before um, 2020, then of course, you know about it now because it's on the news everywhere. Everybody's trying to discredit the people who are claiming vaccine injuries. And they're referencing the fact that there's numbers increasing on the vaccine adverse event reporting system, also known as VAERS. Your lack of knowledge of VAERS prior to 2020 also would indicate that in the event that you ever had a vaccine injured person come into your presence, you didn't even know where you were supposed to report the vaccine injury and you're mandated by law to report a vaccine injury. And you probably presume that a patient of yours had nothing to do with the vaccine injury, even though they may have told you they had a new presenting um, onset of some kind of symptom. The question is, did you even ask what happened, you know, within the weeks, months prior to that? Did you have any medical procedures or anything injected into you? You would think that would be on a good Q&A for a history and physical for patients, and it might be something we ought to consider adding. When did you last have any vaccinations or injections put in your body? Number eight, do you know what the acronym NVICP stands for and why was it started? When was it started? And what was the purpose of this organization? Well, first of all, the acronym stands for National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. It is a no-fault alternative to the traditional tort system. It provides compensation to people found to be injured by certain vaccines. Even in cases in which such a finding is not made, petitioners may receive compensation through a settlement, which is often done. You know, settlements are something that happens when companies don't want to have to pay out too much and they come to an agreement. So the VICP was established after lawsuits against vaccine manufacturers in the 80s and healthcare providers threatened to cause vaccine shortages and reduce vaccine rates. 
Why did that happen? Because apparently there were so many vaccine injured people happening prior to 1986 that they were about to put the vaccine makers out of business. So the federal government stepped in and came up with a program that accepts petitions for vaccine injuries. But guess what? It afforded the vaccine makers and not the injured. It afforded 100% liability-free protection to all vaccine makers. You could not sue a vaccine maker ever again. The only thing you could do was sue the federal vaccine court. Hmm. FYI, the VICP lists its own objectives, and one of them is to ensure an adequate supply of vaccines, to stabilize vaccine costs, and to establish and maintain a an accessible and efficient forum for individuals found to be injured by vaccines. So this isn't about the safety of American people. This is just about protecting the supply and protecting the cost and protecting access to litigation for the injured. I'll be sure to drop you a link to the VICP's website so you can learn more about this program. Number nine, we pretty much already answered, but I'll go ahead and say the question. Are you familiar with the National Vaccine Injury Act? And do you know what year it was passed by Congress and why this act was passed? So we pretty much reviewed that. It was for the protection of vaccine makers and for the protection of the vaccine supply in the country because litigation was so prevalent prior to this act being passed. Number 10, are you aware there are ICD-10 codes to be filled out for vaccine-related injuries? And do you know what the ICD-10 codes are for vaccine injuries so as to be able to file correctly with insurance companies? So for those listening who are not medical professionals, you may recognize that when you go to the doctor's office, they're going to obviously bill their insurance companies and doctors are aware of this because they want to be billed for, you know, whatever they may have done for you. So the codes have been created so that proper billing can happen and it's for tracking public health conditions, complications, anatomical location on the body. It improves data for epidemiological research, severity of illness, comorbidities, measures outcomes, and care provided to the patient. Now, if you have a doctor who doesn't even know there are, first of all, vaccine injuries because they um, believe that they're so rare, they would never have to know such a thing. And you've got a patient that is telling you, I just had a vaccine and I've got this issue going on. And you don't use a diagnosis code to give proper billing when this person goes to the court to get money back for the massive bills that you've billed them and other doctors have billed them the court will use against these patients that nobody builds you for a vaccine injury. There's no documentation of an ICD-10 code. Do you see how it happens? It is imperative that you become familiar with the ICD-10 codes that are associated to vaccine-related injuries. They are there. You need to document it. If anyone says to you they have a vaccine-related injury, they think it is or it's associated to it, and there's any symptom in anybody that they say is new onset, the claim is there. You can file it. You need to make sure to document it. Number 11, do you believe that people can have an adverse reaction to any drug or any drug component? And if so, do you likewise believe that it is possible for someone to have an adverse reaction or anaphylactic reaction to any drug component of a biologic like a childhood vaccine? Now, we already addressed the Tylenol earlier on in our talk today, but 
obviously, hopefully you're getting to the place where you recognize there's incredible body systems that can be impacted by the vaccine systemically anywhere in the body. Now, one must know what's inside of a vaccine to know actually what could potentially cause a, a adverse reaction, correct? So I will include in my show notes links to the CDC that lists all the ingredients in each of the vaccines. But just to name a few, just so you recognize some of the names, any of them that I name have potential adverse reactions, right? Like thimerosal, any kind of stabilizer like a gelatin of some kind. What is its source? Um, Centers for Disease Control compiled a list of all the ingredients that I'll make sure to provide for you as well. Obviously, the vaccines will have antigens in them that are foreign substances which induce an immune response in the body, especially the production of antibodies. So if you introduce any kind of antigen to the body, you have a potential for what? An adverse reaction. The CDC also says that a child who receives all the recommended vaccines in the 2018 childhood immunization schedule may be exposed up to 320 antigens through vaccination by the age of two, just to give you perspective. The Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, reviewed by Dr. Paul Offit, very well known in the vaccine industry, the ingredients of vaccines and besides the adjuvants and the stabilizers that are there and the preservatives that we already mentioned, there are manufacturing byproducts that include antibodies, DNA, egg proteins, fetal tissues, formaldehyde, human proteins, and yes, yeast. So you can also go to the CDC's pink book that I will cite in my show notes to give you a list of the um, things that are there. But I mean, if we have human fetal tissue, yes, noted in the the products uh, that are injected into children, there is a potential for any kind of reaction with anything that I just listed. I mean, formaldehyde, okay, and human proteins. So we have a lot of reasons why we could potentially have adverse reactions and you need to become familiar with what these ingredients are. Number 12, basic vaccine facts. Do you know how many vaccines were mandated on American children between the ages of birth and 18 years old prior to 1986? And do you know how many vaccines are mandated today on American children between the ages of zero and 18? So I'll do just a quick history for time's sake, but more information will be in the show notes. In 1940s, we only had smallpox, diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis. By the 50s, we added the polio vaccine. And by the 60s, the DTP was actually put into a combination shot and they added measles, mumps, and rubella. In the 1970s, they had the same injections going on, but they decided to combine the MMR as well. So the children weren't getting six total injections. They were getting two that were encompassing six antigens. After the act uh, the act was passed in the ni- late 1980s, um, things changed a little bit. So in the 80s, haemophilus influenza uh, injections were added, the Hib, And then in the 90s, Hep B was added. By the mid-90s, 96, chicken pox was added to the schedule. And in 1997, they added the intranasal flu because they realized that the injectable flu was um, being a, becoming a bit of a problem and causing problems for the children, causing problems. And the updated vaccines were added as well. So they realized, oh, wait, these vaccines aren't lasting very long. We need to actually increase the number of vaccines given over a schedule. In 2001, the rotavirus and pneumococcal vax was added, but most importantly, something happened in 2000. 
they realized that they needed to stop giving the oral polio, the OPV, because the children were coming down with polio. Okay. So they changed it from OPV to IPV, an injectable form. Now, OPV is given orally, providing protection in the mouth, intestines, and then in the blood. Protection in the mouth and intestines is important as poliovirus infects the mouth and multiplies in the intestines. The IPV, the injectable one, is a vaccine that provides protection in the blood only. Now, there's an interesting piece of information that is worthy of research, and that is that in all the countries around the world that are considered more like third world, OPV, the one that's known to cause polio, vaccine-derived polio, is still being given around the world. And even the most recent outbreak that, that has happened, there's always been a connection to an OPV-vaccinated person. So wh why are we having OPV vaccines still being given around the world? I mean, we travel everywhere. The world comes to America, therefore bringing a vaccine-derived form of polio into our country. Isn't that interesting? For time's sake, I'm going to just get down to the numbers of what the children today face between the ages of zero and 18. Today, a child receives 50 doses of 14 vaccines by the age of six and 69 doses of 16 vaccines by the age of 18. Because of limited time, I'm going to skip number 13 about measles vaccine and deal with that next week on my show. Number 14, are you aware there is a federal vaccine court of special masters in America and do you know how it is funded? Now, this one is always really fun to ask because most doctors and nurses and people in general do not know there is a federal vaccine court. Okay, so this is a very important thing for us to end on this week because what it needs to communicate to everyone listening is that there is a reason why we have a federal vaccine court, and that is because we have vaccine injuries and we have a vaccine program called the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, where money has to be put, funneled into somewhere to be able to pay to children who are injured, permanently handicapped or dead following a vaccine, which means there are vaccine injuries, vaccine handicaps and vaccine deaths. Okay, so that just asking that question should be the most humbling thing that a medical professional should hear. Um, that number 15 says, are you aware how much has been paid out from the federal vaccine court to injured, permanently handicapped or dead Americans since the beginning of federal vaccine court starting? Well, that should that should keep, stop you cold in your tracks because it's nearly $5 billion. And they may say, okay, some of these were settlements. They weren't actually you know, claiming that a vaccine did it. The fact is the federal vaccine court has paid out millions and millions of dollars, $4.3 billion to injured children in this country. Nurses Out Loud is striving to expose the real misinformation while unveiling the patient harms done nationwide in the name of science. Now that you know more about the vaccine program in the United States, perhaps you are recognizing that we are, in fact, in a war for truth. Tune in every day at 10 a.m. right here, Nurses Out Loud. See you next week. It's time